Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we are going to explore how researchers approach reincarnation. With me is Dr. James Matlock, who is the co-author with Erlander Haraldson of a new book called, I Saw a Light and Came Here, Children's Experiences of Reincarnation. Jim has been studying reincarnation professionally for the last three decades and is the author of dozens of research papers on reincarnation, survival, parapsychology, and anthropology. He is an anthropologist. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be with you and to talk about reincarnation, one of my favorite subjects, and I know it's one of your favorite subjects as as well. Now, many of our viewers will have some idea of how researchers treat Paris, uh, treat reincarnation, particularly parapsychology researchers who are interested in proving or at least coming up with as much evidence as, as they can to build a case that reincarnation is, is real. Um, but a lot of people in the public probably associate reincarnation with uh, popular literature, hypnotic regression, psychic mm -hmm. readings, mm -hmm. uh, and other approaches. Uh, how do you view it? Well, I follow the methodology that was pioneered by Ian Stevenson uh, in this area, and uh, he uh, he worked with children who spontaneously, that is, in their waking state or in dreams, uh, remembered previous lives, rather than uh, through regression. Mm -hmm. uh, and he worked mainly with children because, you know, because the children's cases turned out to be stronger evidentially. Now, what the... Uh, there have less opportunity for having uh, learned about some historical person. Precisely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the uh, um, one of the elements here. So he also worked with uh, these children uh, in the field, mm -hmm. um, uh, meeting the children, uh, talking to their families, also talking to the families of the. Uh, uh, the people that the children uh, identify with. The previous uh, person. The previous persons, we call them, or I call mm -hmm. them. Uh, the majority of the stronger cases of that sort are in Asia, so he spent a good deal of his time working in Asia, countries like India, mm -hmm. uh, Sri Lanka. Countries uh, where the belief in reincarnation is common. That's right, and mm -hmm. for some reason the, the cases tend to be stronger there, although we also have stronger cases from the West, mm -hmm. uh, so they're not exclusively in Asia. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, uh, his procedures were the same, whether in Asia or the West, and what he would do is he would go to these locations. He wouldn't try to do it long distance. He would actually go to the locations, uh, and uh, collect, talk to as many people as possible, mm -hmm. first-hand witnesses. Mm -hmm. This was a very important principle with them, speaking only to first-hand witnesses, uh, and uh, collect as much documentation, uh, for instance, autopsy reports, police reports, uh, that had to do with the, uh, the way the person died, mm -hmm. if that were important, uh, or other documents uh, related to the previous person's life. So the young child would uh, actually remember a previous 
person in their life. It was if there, it was their own memories. They they would say, "I exactly. used to live in such and such a village. I had these parents." Exactly, and mm -hmm. they would use the first person just like that. They would mm -hmm. say, "I," uh, and in many uh, in many of these cases, they did give the name mm -hmm. uh, or the name of the village, mm -hmm. and this is what would allow. Uh, uh, the previous person to be traced. And then the memories, uh, you know, and the child might give, have given dozens of memories by mm -hmm. this time, statements about, yeah. about the memories, um, and have also behaved in certain ways. The behaviors are an important aspect of these cases. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, behaved in ways that might be out of line in the family, uh, for instance, uh, uh, preferred different foods or you know, uh, that turned out to be in line mm -hmm. with the previous person when that person is tracked down. Mm -hmm. Now, with um, what Stevenson discovered uh, fairly quickly is that most of these cases had already been solved. This is the term he used mm -hmm. uh, for a, a case in which uh, the previous person had been identified. By the parents. By the parents, right, mm -hmm. already before Stevenson learned about the case. Mm -hmm. So he was in a position then of verifying basically what had happened yes. instead of doing the mm -hmm. research himself to track down the previous person. And I have to assume those are weaker cases because there's always the risk of uh, some sort of contamination when the parents get involved. There can be contaminations and that's why he went to great lengths. He would re-interview, this is another one of his principles, mm -hmm. he would re-interview uh, his uh, the informants several times over a period of years. Mm -hmm. He would go back just to check on their memories. To make sure the story is consistent. Is consistent. And that's also the reason he he talked to multiple people, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to see how consistent the stories were. Mm -hmm. And then he would do the same thing on the previous person's side. Yeah. He would go and interview everybody there mm -hmm. uh, in the same way. Uh, multiple times, as many people as he was able to, to contact. Now, uh, I, and, I understand there are at this point in time maybe 2,500 cases like this in a computerized database. About 1,700 of them have been solved. Uh -huh. But yes, they have at the University of Virginia, uh, which is where Stevenson was. He, he died. was the chairman of the psychiatry department when he began when this When he work. began, that's correct, yeah. He actually was. He was trained as a psychiatrist. He was hired by IUVA. Uh, as a chairman of uh, the Department of Psychiatry, given a tenured position uh, there, uh, and then a few years later, I uh, got into this research. Yeah. Uh, but um, and he worked with colleagues around the world as well uh, in different countries. That's right. Uh, yes, and this was this is an important aspect of his research as well, and of the research still that's done today. Uh, because because still, it's continuing. Stevenson died several years ago. He died in 2007, and it mm -hmm. is continuing. Erlinda Harrelson, who was my co-author of the book, uh, is one of the researchers who is picked up and is continuing mm -hmm. uh, Stevenson's research, and there are others. So he he did depend on uh, translators and on uh, assistants in these other countries. Uh, most of his assistants were academics that he trained, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, when he wasn't there in the countries when he was back home in Charlottesville, uh, they continued to scout out cases and yeah. collect preliminary information on them. Now, I assume that uh, by and large this is not experimental research, it's what we call case study research. It follows a methodology that was established in the 19th century by the uh, Society for Psychical Research in London. 
Yes, that's right. Yes, his the methods are very much built on um, uh, on the methodology that the SPR um, uh, pioneered mm -hmm. uh, in studying uh, things like apparitions, uh, where you also had a um, had a, a, a spontaneous event mm -hmm. uh, that needed to be. Um, Corroborated, mm -hmm. uh, and that was done through uh, through talking to as many witnesses as possible, mm -hmm. collecting documents. The 19th century researchers, to my way of thinking, were very rigorous, actually, but they followed a, a procedure since this was pretty much uh, in advance of the uh, experimental work in the behavioral sciences. They they followed the methodology of of the courtroom or the criminal in investigator trying to build a case that you could bring before. A jury, very much so, very much so, you know. And Stevenson always said that his uh, uh, that his methods owes, owed a lot to uh, to legal, you mm -hmm. know, sort of methods because of that. But there are differences. Mm -hmm. there, there are differences uh, in what he did and what the in the early SBR research. Uh, because of the difference in the type of case, yes. in an apparition case, typically, you know, maybe one sighting. There may be, you know, there are collective apparitions too, where a mm -hmm. number of people might see it. There are recurrent apparitions, and there are hauntings that are similar. Well, to Well, it's but, fair to say that the early researchers did not look at reincarnation. No, they did not. That's quite right. Yeah, and it was left, and it's curious uh, because these cases were known. Uh, mm -hmm. at the end of the 19th century, early 20th century. Uh, and uh, some Indian cases were actually published in mm -hmm. psychical research journals. So long before Stevenson, oh, long before Stevenson. There, there were, I'm going to imagine, a, a dozen or so of these cases had, had come to light. To, to yeah. light, and, and uh, I believe uh, your research shows that they're pretty much similar to the subsequent cases. Very much so, very much so. But what's curious about this is that psychic researchers weren't even, weren't really paying attention to them. They paid attention to various other types of anomalous mm -hmm. phenomena, but not to the reincarnation cases. They, was they were largely motivated by 19th century spiritualism, and, and I think so. most of the spiritualists uh, had not, at that point in time, uh, adopted reincarnation as part of their belief system. System. Particularly the Anglo-American spiritualism mm -hmm. uh, tended to reject it. In France, with spiritism, and you now found that uh, in Brazil too, the yeah. spiritism, Allan Kardec and so forth. Now, they did mm -hmm. uh, endorse right. uh, reincarnation. Uh, and so these, the, uh, the early cases that were published in psychical research journals were actually published in French, in the French journals. Mm -hmm. Uh, and not in uh, the English language journals. Mm -hmm. So, but Stevenson is really the person who put this line of research on, on the map. And these cases of children who have uh, past life memories uh, are known now as cases of the reincarnation type. Right. Well, that was his term. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Erlander and I call it in our book, we, we say, just say reincarnation cases. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, occasionally cases of the reincarnation type. But more and more people are sort of dropping that. You still find it. You still yeah. find the term. Uh, but that was still Stevenson's mm -hmm. term. And it's, many people find it sort of distancing. Yeah. You know, and uh, well, Stevenson was trying very hard to reach the mainstream scientific community, and he succeeded in getting a, a number of articles published in mainstream psychiatric journals. He did in anthropology journals too. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And in fact, Stevenson was one of the, he was better able at, uh, to do that mm -hmm. uh, than most parapsychologists. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because of his background in psychiatry, because yep. he came out, he was midway in his career. He was already 40 mm -hmm. when he started this research. And so his first first part of his academic career uh, you know was in uh, you know mainstream fields he even uh, went so far as, as I recall to suggest to other psychiatrists that they begin uh, th that they ought to consider uh, reincarnation and past lives is very important sources of the uh, etiology of psychiatric conditions. Yes, very much so, yeah. And he saw this in his cases, and this is one of the uh, one type of case that they, that uh, psychiatric journals in particular will pick up. Mm -hmm. uh, phobias, for example. Phobias, gender dysphorias, mm -hmm. and uh, other um, conditions, mm -hmm. cases that bear on yeah. psychiatric problems tend to end up uh, uh -huh. in, the, in those journals. Well, I, and I think the interesting thing here is that in addition to following a very rigorous uh, methodology well established by the year 1900, he also uh, had the advantage with a collection of uh, over a thousand solved cases to begin to subject these to statistical analysis to begin to look at patterns. The findings from those patterns are really very interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's, it's very significant too, and it's something that critics often overlook. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with these cases, it's, it's, they're often, because they're case studies, they're often dismissed as anecdotal. Right. But these are actually uh, carefully investigated cases, mm -hmm. which corroborated, corroborated, investigated and corroborated. Yeah. Uh, you know, which makes them no longer simply anecdotal. Mm -hmm. It's not simply collecting a story that somebody is told. It's actually going back and verifying all of the elements of that story. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, that's what his methodology was about, yeah. verifying all this. And he was when he wrote up his case reports, mm -hmm. uh, he was um, diligent in pointing out uh, the issues uh, or the statements or the behaviors that were corroborated mm -hmm. by s multiple witnesses, those yeah. that were affirmed only by one, uh, those that uh, you know, those that he had observed himself in some cases, and so forth. So in, he laid all of this out. So in reading his case reports, uh, you know, one one really one begins to see you know how he worked as a scientist. Mm -hmm. um, one, one other thing I want to say though before I forget it uh, is that there are some cases because there are some cases uh, in which written records he was able to make written records of a child's statements mm -hmm. uh, before verifying them. I mentioned before. That yeah. in the majority of cases, that wasn't possible. Verified already by the parents. Right. Mm -hmm. But there are there are a handful of cases, still at this point, a fewer than three dozen of them, mm -hmm. so not many. But there are cases, both in Asia and the West, where we have uh, documentation of the child's statements mm -hmm. before, uh, before verifications were even attempted. Yeah. Now, would you say, uh, with regard to these cases, that uh, the statements made by the child are uh, highly accurate, moderately accurate, occasionally accurate? Uh, it varies, but mm -hmm. they t in, many, in many cases they tend to be highly accurate mm -hmm. uh, and very specific. And this actually is a very important uh, um, part of evaluating these cases. Mm -hmm. If the uh, statements are too general, they can apply to many people. Right. Uh, but if they're very specific things, uh, 
then, uh, uh, and if they don't apply generally to many people, if they apply, you know, only to one person, the person named, mm -hmm. or the person identified, mm -hmm. and if you have multiple things like that, mm -hmm. plus behaviors that are consistent, yeah. plus sometimes we haven't mentioned yet birthmarks and physical features, mm -hmm. which are also part of these cases. Which we plan to do an entire we'll, conversation we'll a, about. We'll, we'll do a, a conversation about them too. Yeah. So that we want to look at all of these things together, mm -hmm. and ideally you want to see them all converge mm -hmm. on, the same, uh, on the same identity. Now I understand, um, in fact, I guess I could say I know for a fact that uh, Stevenson and the people who are now working at the Division of uh, Perceptual Studies there at uh, the University of Virginia carrying on his work are, I, I don't think it would be unfair to say that they have a bit of hostility toward the field of past life regression therapy. Mm. Uh, yes, I think so. It stems partly from from the public thinking so highly of regressions. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually, um, when regressions have been researched, and they have been, the things said, the things that come um, mm -hmm. up, the ostensible memories, yeah. uh, don't are not cannot be verified in the same way that the, the spontaneous memories can be. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, Stevenson did. Uh, use regressions uh, in cases of uh, xenoglossy, that's the use of, a, of an unlearned language. Mm -hmm. uh, he studied two cases in which he, he thought that uh, there was evidence that an unlearned language was spoken, one case German and the other case Swedish. Mm -hmm. uh, but in neither of those cases was it possible to trace the previous person. Yeah. Right. So they're not solved, they're unsolved mm -hmm. cases. The xenoglossy in those cases is actually very um, Minor, not not all that. Uh, uh -huh. uh, the strongest that form strong. of, of xenoglossy would be uh, responsive xenoglossy, right? And that's what he thought he had here. He, a responsive xenoglossy is where uh, um, a, a person not only speaks an unlearned language but can converse in it, yes, responsively. Uh, and that's what he thought was going on here. That he had evidence of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but the evidence is not all that strong, and it has been attacked. Mm -hmm. But with the exception of those two cases, uh, he didn't work with regressions. He mm -hmm. attempted to. Yeah. Uh, he attempted to um, regress, I believe it was 13 uh, children. He didn't get anywhere with them. The great risk with hypnotic regression is that the hypnotist may be communicating through nonverbal signals, even through telepathy, right. uh, the, the desires of, that the hypnotist may have for results, and people under hypnosis tend to want to please the hypnotist. Right, and I mean, that's one of the that's one of the problems with it. There are there are some regression cases uh, that have veridical, truthful information, and that are solved, mm -hmm. but only a handful of them yeah. uh, compared to uh, you know to the many hundreds of uh, of spontaneous cases. Now, and another th approach, which is very common uh, in the public, is to go to a uh, a shaman or a psychic and get a reading right. uh, regarding past lives and. I know of several instances where readings of that sort were life-changing mm -hmm. for the people involved, but again, from a research point of view, th this is not a strong uh, approach either. No, that's quite right. Uh, you know, and the regressions also can be very powerful and life-changing for people mm -hmm. who, who, who trust them, believe in them. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, the problem with the psychics is that, um, you know, they're good psychics and they're bad psychics. I mean, yeah. there's some psychics who are quite reliable. But again, uh, you need to verify the information that's given. Mm -hmm. uh, and unless you can verify the information, you can't trust it yeah. from a research point of view. From mm -hmm. uh, uh, I, I, I think first and foremost, Stevenson's interest was in uh, documenting that reincarnation uh, is real and verifiable. And so all of those cases are biased in that direction. That's correct. Well, in the in the sense that he was looking for the strongest cases, the yeah. most evidential As cases. As opposed to looking for cases that might speak to the operation of how reincarnation works. Right. And gradually, uh, uh, researchers are getting more interested in these process issues. Mm -hmm. And it, we, there have been uh, there have been process studies uh, done as well. And that's an important aspect of this methodology mm -hmm. uh, that it's not simply reliant on case studies. Uh, Again, Erlander Harrelson has done uh, uh, psychological studies mm -hmm. um, comparing the psychologies of uh, the children using batteries of standard psychological mm -hmm. tests mm -hmm. uh, with the memories, uh, comparing them to uh, to paired uh, control peer groups. Uh -huh. So a, a proper psychological uh -huh. study. Well, this, it's, it, because in a world of uh, seven billion people, to think that maybe 2,500, 3,000 young children have past life memories, that's a tiny, tiny percentage of the overall population. It is, and there are probably many, many more than that who yeah. have these memories. Uh, it's just that uh, most of these memories are not strong enough uh, to lead to a verification mm -hmm. of the previous person. But the, the memories themselves, from all we can tell now, tend, seem to be quite common, mm -hmm. and are from all over the world. So it does seem to be a human mm -hmm. uh, ability, characteristic, whatever it is. In, in other words, you want to interpret there, there, we now have cases solved cases from cultures uh, where reincarnation is not a common belief. Yes, and, and ones with written records, too. Mm -hmm. Now, the methodology, uh, and there have been the statistical studies uh, using both descriptive statistics and mm -hmm. inferential statistics. The inferential ones are ones where you're, you're looking at variables and trying to see the relationship between them. Mm -hmm. For you, as an anthropologist, and I, I gather that a number of other researchers have a background in anthropology, you're very interested in the interplay of uh, the culture and the yeah. uh, ways in which the reincarnation manifests. Yes, and this is. Also, I hope we can we can talk about that yeah. also uh, later. Uh, get into it in more detail because it is a very important subject. Uh, there are all sorts of cultural influences on the cases, both from from the outside. Mm -hmm. That is, in terms of how the cases are actually expressed, how they develop. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, or not, mm -hmm. and uh, but from also interestingly from the inside. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, culture can uh, can show up in the way that uh, uh, that uh, the cases actually are expressed. That is, the memories are expressed, and this sort of makes sense if you think about it, because the previous persons were members of some culture or other, yeah. and 
um, if survival does occur, reincarnation does occur, it would be entirely natural uh, for uh, for personality, for beliefs, uh, uh, you know, for for psychological structures to carry over into the period after death, and then into the reincarn reincarnation and be recalled. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that we would see uh, these sorts of cultural influences on the memories from the inside as well as from the outside. Now, if we're talking about research on survival, there are many different lines of inquiry. You can look at near-death experience, mediumistic communications, apparitions, uh, but with reincarnation research, you don't have such a variety. For example, uh, you don't find much in the near-death experience literature that uh, is enlightening with regard to reincarnation. Well, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there, Okay. Um, there are uh, about 20% of, of cases mm -hmm. uh, that were studied, solved, uh, solved and unsolved, mm -hmm. about 20% of them, uh, the children recall uh, the period between uh, death and rebirth. Uh -huh. we, call those, we call those intermission memories, intermission right. period. The phenomena of the intermission of, is, uh, turned out to be very similar to the phenomena of NDEs. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's something. Yeah, so we do see overlap there. Okay. Uh, we also, in some reincarnation cases, see apparitions. Mm -hmm. uh, there can also be mediumistic communications that refer to uh, reincarnation. Sometimes communicators through a medium talk about their upcoming uh, reincarnations oh, and so forth. Oh, all right. So all of these areas do come together and they do dovetail. So all there the is a more of a convergence. There is very much a convergence. Okay. And I actually think that's, it's a very important point mm -hmm. because. Um, some people do think of reincarnation as being a separate sort of, uh, of area, and it yeah. is a specialty yeah. uh, within parapsychology, but all the different survival areas really do converge and they support each other. Okay. Well, Dr. Jim Matlock, this has been a, a very interesting and enlightening discussion. Uh, before we close this interview, are there any other uh, points you think we should hit upon with regard to methodology? Uh, I think we've hit the main ones, and we've also given a general uh, overview of reincarnation research to boot. Uh, I think so we have, and uh, I know our viewers will be interested in knowing. We're going to do several more of these video conversations to talk about what what these cases really show, what they tell us, uh, what what do we know about how reincarnation works. Well, wonderful. I look forward to that. So That's thank great. you very much for being with me, and thank you for being with us. Thank you.